Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the gift of Christian brothers and sisters who we need, who encourage us, who uplift us, who right us when we're wrong, who come alongside us in the time of need. Thank you that it is by the sacrifice of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that all of these things can be done in the purest of brotherly and sisterly love. We praise you for you are good and for your mercies endure forever. Speak to us tonight. Illuminate the words in these scriptures so that they become transformative to our lives. Father, may my voice not be heard, but the voice of your Holy Spirit. Handle these words faithfully, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. My name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here at Connection Church. And we are so excited to be right in the middle of a series that we've entitled Love Loud. Over the first few weeks of this series, we have talked about how we love loud like Jesus did. So we looked at some of the the miracles that he performed. We looked at how he was baptized with the Holy Spirit and sent out to do good works in his name. And last week, we learned that Jesus doesn't love loud. He doesn't love people with extravagant love um, based out of pride or so that he feels better about himself. But in fact... In the humblest of actions, he got on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, this is how you love. And how you have seen me love, you go and love the least of these. And so as we've journeyed across this Love Loud series, we've been focusing on the person of Jesus. And tonight, we transition to the book of Acts. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts... This is where it is recorded that the first church begins in Acts chapter 2. And so over the next several weeks, we will be diving into how the early church, those first Christians who began to to come together with this newfound belief in God, this newfound filling of the Holy Spirit, how did they love loud? In their neighborhoods, in their larger communities, and tonight, how did they love loud inside the body of Christ inside the church. So, let's begin um, to think about this as you listen to this story. I grew up in the church, and I remember very vividly the first time that I ever saw someone in the church meet a clear need that our family had. So I'm sure it happened other times before this, But I remember this one specifically, and I said, wow, that is exactly what the book of Acts is talking about in these scriptures we'll read in a minute. My family uh, was a family of five, and we had a small car in South Texas, and the air conditioner broke in the summertime. And I don't know if any of you have ever spent any time in Texas, um, but the Houston area is very hot and very humid, temperatures in the hundreds all the time, and you don't walk around like you do here. A car is a necessity. You drive everywhere. And so uh, this car, old and beat up, had over 140,000 miles on it, no air conditioning now, and we were in need of some type of different vehicle. And I remember my dad um, sitting down and just trying to figure out how are we going to 
um, provide a new vehicle. I don't think we have the funds, so we're just going to have to tough it out for the rest of the summer. And I went, uh, that happened, and a couple weeks went by, and I went out with some friends, went to a movie, and I pulled into the driveway one Saturday night, and it was really late at night, maybe 11.30 or midnight, and I saw, as I pulled into the driveway in this car with no air conditioning, um, I saw a, a, a white, brand new pickup truck in the driveway. Um, a Chevrolet Avalanche, if you know what that looks like. Four doors, real big truck, really nice. And I knew whose truck it was, and I was thinking, why are those people who go to our church, why are they here so late? This is kind of weird. And then I looked inside the house, all the lights were off. What's going on? So, I mean, I park, and I get out, and I go inside, and nobody's there. I mean, I, I go in my parents' room uh, to tell them I got home, and my dad hadn't fallen asleep yet. And I said, uh, hey, why, are, why is there truck in our driveway? And he said, that's not their truck. I said, oh, whose truck is it? He said, that's our truck. I said, what do you mean it's our truck? There's no way, you know, as it, it looked like a brand, I thought it was brand new. It was actually one year old. But he's, yeah, oh, one year old. He said, that's our truck. Um, these people came by tonight. Um, they came in two cars. They came in and said, hey, uh, pastor, can we talk to you for a moment? He said, sure. So they came inside, they sat down, they, you know, small talked for a few minutes. And then he said, uh, let's cut to the chase. I heard that your car's air conditioning went out. I know it's old. I know you're having to pour money into it that you don't want to. And we have an extra vehicle. So we're le- we came tonight in two cars, and we're leaving in one. And he pulled out the keys, and his wife pulled out her set of keys, and they put them on the coffee table, and they, they left. A one-year-old, brand-new Chevy Avalanche with 20,000 miles on it. And my dad's telling me this, you know, 11.30 night, and I'm going, are you serious? I, I, I don't even understand what you're saying to me. This is crazy. How do you just give a car? I mean, this, is, this isn't like taking someone out for dinner and saying, hey, can I treat you to dinner? Here's 30, 40 bucks. We're talking about 30, 40,000 dollars. And it blew me away. And it was the perfect picture of how the people of God are called to love loud inside of community. Someone in the church saw a need. They looked at what they had in front of them, their belongings, their possessions, and they saw an overage. They had an abundance. They had two of these. And the resources for providing that need for that family and then still taking care of their own. And so they sold their possession for free to this family, to our family. And I thought, man, that is what was happening in the book of Acts chapter 2. So look with me. Uh, The words will be on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Be thinking about that story as you hear these words when these first Christians began to congregate and come together and learn what it was like to live in community. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, he's preaching to a crowd of people in Jerusalem. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for you who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness 
and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And boom, there it was. The first church. 3,000 souls respond to this message that Peter has just given. Now, the sermon is much longer than what I read. That's the end of it. If you'd like to read the rest of it, start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, maybe tonight when you go home or tomorrow, and you can read what he says, and he basically just describes the life of Jesus. And he describes to these people, who, many of whom were Jewish, how Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that their forefathers had known about God. And then he gets to the end where we read and says, So... Repent and be baptized. Turn from your sins. Believe in this man, Jesus, and be baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then watch what happens. Verse 42. And so these that have just repented and been baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. When this first church began, they got together and they began identifying needs that were in their community and just forsaking their material possessions, selling them away and providing needs. And they were joyous and they had favor with all people and God was adding to their numbers day by day. So I want us to see a few things from this scripture. Number one, if you look in verse 44, we're going to break down verses 44 and 45. And the first thing that we can see in verse 44 is that those who had gathered together were all of one specific mindset. Okay? Listen to the words of verse 44 again. And all who believed were together. Who had gathered those who believed. And what did they believe? That's a good question. They believed the gospel. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, those words we just read, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. Peter had said just before this, We are all sinners. And so, sinners in the face of a holy, perfect God have no hope. Peter says, this this God-man, Jesus Christ, has come to give you hope. Repent and turn from those sins. You will be forgiven. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, The ones who had gathered together, it's very important to point out, this new church was not just 
uh, was, was, wasn't people from different um, religions. It wasn't people who were uh, following pagan gods over here. It wasn't those who were performing idol worship um, in their uh, off time. This was those who at that time when Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you, it was those who said, I believe. It was those who said, I repent. I accept this free gift of the Holy Spirit. These are those who are a part of the body of Christ. And so, as we love loud in community, we have to be in the community of those who are believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We are a part of the, God, of the body of Christ because we believe. But it wasn't only those who believed, um, but it was also those who were filled with the Spirit. At the end of verse 38, which we just read, um, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is not just those who have some type of head knowledge or some type of heart belief in Jesus, but it is those who have truly been saved. Those who have forsaken all in their life, emptied of themselves, just like Jesus taught us last week. Those who have humbled themselves even to the point of being a servant on their knees, saying, God, I have nothing of my own to offer. Um, the New Testament describes it in this way. that It says uh, that you would empty yourself. The only way that you can receive salvation, the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have this saving power, is to be emptied of self so that you may be filled with all of the good things of God. Uh, another way to put it might be if you've heard the illustration of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that comes when you are filled with the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in order to be filled with all of those things, in order for that fruit to be growing on you, as it were, Larry Mayberry and his pride and his desires and his sinfulness must be first emptied. Because good fruit cannot grow on a bad tree. So, if we are going to love loud in community, the first thing that we have to recognize is that the community is those who believe. Those who have been filled with this Holy Spirit. The second thing that we have to notice is that they were together. Isn't it good to be together? Yesterday there were some people, um, some of my neighbors and friends, uh, some people from the church were at my house out in the little garden area, and we were together. In fact, myself and uh, my neighbor, who I'd never had the opportunity to hang out with, Myron, he and I were together all day long. We were out there, I was out there at 9 a.m., we were back and forth, you know, I was smoking things and he was uh, grilling things, and so we were out there until midnight. All day, we were together. And you know what happens when you're together with someone you're normally not together with? You learn about them. I learned about his family, I learned that he loves to travel to where his parents are from in Greece, I learned that he and his wife want to have children someday, I learned that that day is not right now. I learned that they have friends, and I got to meet some of their friends. So being together is a good thing. And listen to what happens in verse 44. 
um, those who believed, what did they do? They were together. If you skip down um, just a couple of verses, you can see what they did when they were together and where they were together. Verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So I want us to see a couple of things here about their togetherness. They weren't just together because they liked each other. Because if you're together with someone because you like them, the moment that you stop liking them, you don't want to be together with them anymore. Does that make sense? It's like our, you know, westernized version of relationships. Well, if this relationship, if I don't like this person anymore, I'm going to go get in a relationship with someone else. And if, even, if, even if this relationship is a marriage, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go be in a relationship with someone else. You see this in its cruelest form with uh, parents who neglect their children and forsake their children. So they've had this child and they're together with them and then that child becomes an inconvenience. And this is how we end up with orphans. And just a couple of weeks ago, we learned that the beauty of Love Loud is that Jesus taught us that the purest religion is that we care for orphans and widows in their need. We are together with them as well. So they were together, not pointlessly, and not just because they liked them, but they were together day by day in at least two different places, the temple and the house. So what does that tell us about this early church? Probably at least two things. When they were at the temple, it tells us that these people were together and they worshipped together. They went to the temple where you pray, where you hear the, the reading of Scripture, and where you uh, encourage and exhort one another. So those who believe in the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit, are together in the temple worshiping. They were not only together in the temple, though, and this is where you see some downfalls in our specific model of church that we practice these days. Because a lot of us, the general Christian, maybe not us here at Connection Church, but a lot of us are together at church in the temple, worshiping, praising God together, spending time in prayer, but that's the only time we're together. And the beauty of this togetherness that the early church shared was that it went one step further. So day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. So these early believers were together, worshiping God in the temple and together eating at home. Who doesn't like to eat at home? Right? Eating is good and being home is good. But eating and being home with the body of Christ is better. The early church here, as we can look back on their experience, teaches us something very important and very vital to our, um, to our understanding and to our practicing of the Christian church. And that is that we need to be together in each other's homes. Probably sharing meals. Isn't that good? I mean, sometimes when 
you're reading scripture and you're, uh, and like we've been pre- preaching through this uh, Love Loud series about Jesus and we hear these amazing things that he did and we hear that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do these same things, these great works, to love the outcasts, the whosoevers in our culture and to reach out um, to the least of these, to serve at people's feet. We hear these great things and they become sometimes so overwhelming. And that's why we planned the Love Loud series like we did. Because the overwhelming nature of our duty as believers to love the people in our neighborhoods loudly is dispersed and portioned out among the body of Christ to relieve the burden. So now it's not just John's job to love everyone in his neighborhood. But John lives in the same neighborhood as Daniel and Carrie, and they are a part of the body of Christ. So they can be together here worshiping God in the temple, but they can also be together in their neighborhood, in their homes, sharing the burden. It's not a burden, but sharing the privilege, the opportunity to love loudly in their neighborhoods. And so we learn from the early church that it is important for us as followers of Jesus to be together in each other's homes. And we cannot forsake this holy and historic practice. If we do, we will be isolating ourselves from something that you cannot isolate yourself from. In other words, if you are a part of the body of Christ, a member of the body of Christ, a hand, for instance, a hand cannot isolate itself from the body And still be a hand. Because a hand has specific functions that are only carried out when it is connected to the arm and to the shoulder and to the brain to tell it what to do. Does that make sense? So when we decide to isolate ourselves and forsake the practice of being together in each other's homes, a part of each other's lives, we are, in essence, being the hand who says, I'm going to go sit on the shelf away from the body by my lonesome. And this hand deems itself useless. So let us remember, Connection Church, that we are not to forsake the meeting in each other's homes. It is a beautiful thing for us to be together in each other's homes. And now, it's a perfect transition to why we do connect groups like we do. If you have never been a part of a connect group, I encourage you to come and join in in one. We have several that meet weekly, and they meet, guess where? In people's homes. And we share a meal together and study the Word of God and spend time praying. So we try to be intentional about funneling people who may come in contact with Connection Church. Like Daniel said earlier, connecting, uh, it, the church exists to connect people with God, but also to connect people with each other. And without this connecting with each other in homes, we are isolating ourselves. And in that isolation, we will find loneliness. We will find... Um, unsuccessful uh, practices in our personal life. We will find our relationships fall apart. We will find that eventually we decide that going to church to celebrate on a weekly basis in the temple together is really not all that important either, and we fall away from God. So, don't forsake the meeting together in each other's homes. It is important, and it's a great lesson that the early church has taught us. So, those 
who believed were together in the temple and in their homes. And they were not only together in the temple and in their homes, but they were also, they also had all things in common. What does it mean to have all things in common? Does it mean that we are all of the same political party? No. Does it mean that we all dress the same? No. Most of you are saying, hopefully not, because you don't want to dress like me. Does it mean that we all have the same desires in our life, career-wise? Of course not. Does it mean we all have the same educational background or ethnic history? No, 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 no. Listen to what it meant that they had everything in common. Excuse me. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You may say, that's communism. That's socialism. You can't be a part of that. This is, we, we're, we're a part of a democracy. No, it's not communism. It's not socialism. It's not democracy. It's not a political affiliation at all or political um, entity. It is the body of Christ. Because it is not out of obligation that these people met together and sold their possessions, but it is out of their glad and generous hearts, it speaks of in just the next verse, meeting together, seeing the need, and having the abundant joy given to them by the Holy Spirit, not by themselves, to someone else needs a car, I have a car. I'm going to give my car to them. Yeah, but that car costs so much money. You work really hard for your money. You run a business. You, you go to work every day. You have earned that money. You deserve that car. That's your, that's your right to spend your money how you like. And the early church teaches us that is not the correct way to think as a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit and together worshiping with those who they are with and being a part of people's lives and their homes. In fact, the way that those kind of people live is that I did work hard for this car, and as soon as I got this car, I said, Lord, give me the strength I do not have to treat this car as yours and not my own. And it's people who do that, that end up saying, someone needs a vehicle, I'll be glad. I'll be more than happy to share what God has given me with them. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus, very quickly, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, you can miss it if you blink, lays out the framework for how the church is supposed to deal with material possessions. My dad used to say it like this. He would say, when, when God gives you something, you don't say, thank you, 
and receive the gift. Turn this up. You receive the gift and hold it in your hand like this. This is mine. God gave this to me. I am happy to use this. Clenched fists. But instead, when God gives you something, you receive it with a glad and generous heart. And you hold it like this. And your prayer is, Lord, use this how you desire. Because we're arrogant. We think that if God gives us something, it's ours, and we can use it how we want. But that's not true. We don't know if maybe God has given us the resources to purchase a nice vehicle for ourselves that we really like, that really he may be calling us to hold it for a time, and when we see the need, pass it. So in your, um, in your private prayer time, in the quiet and the stillness before God, I want to encourage you to think about the things that you own, physical, material possessions, and how God has given you those things. Whether it's by income that you receive from a, a job that he provided, or whether it's from an inheritance, or from someone giving it to you, whatever the case may be, and I challenge you to unclench. See which possessions you're clenching your fist over and open them up and see what God can do. See how he can work and use you in amazing ways to be a blessing to others inside the body and out. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where cars break down and thieves steal. You guys don't have moth problems, do you, in your New York City apartments? So you're okay with that? Cars break down and thieves steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because God is an abundantly good giver. And he knows what's going on all around you. He has, like that Toyota Corolla you may see advertised, 360 degree view. Says that car can react to anything and it comes at it. God sees the 360 view around your life when we don't. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, or treasures in heaven. I really messed that up, but you know what I'm saying. Lay up treasures in heaven. They're eternal. Do not lay up treasures on earth. They are temporal, and they will be destroyed. So Jesus teaches us about that. They had all things in common. That's part of what it means. But it also means that as they, when they had them in common, they decided, hey, listen, I'll sell anything um, to give to someone as they have need. There's two key words here that we have to see. Listen to the, the, last, um, the last four words of verse 45. They distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. As any had need. And there we find the, the part of the verse that I have the hardest problem with. Because God doesn't call us to hold on to our, uh, to, to receive the possessions and then be willing to give them to who we desire to give them to. He doesn't call us to give them to who we think needs them most. He tells us to be willing to give to any as they have need. In other words, we are not allowed to discriminate. There is no room for discrimination 
inside of the body of Christ. We can't say, yeah, you're right, God. That person does need that. But I've seen the way that they treat those things. And I think they need to learn their lesson by being without for a while. That's not our call. The early church teaches us very clearly, just in this tiny little passage, that when you believe in the gospel, when you are transformed by the Holy Spirit and filled with his power, meeting together with those who are of like mind, praising God in the temple, fellowshipping with one another gladly and generously in your homes, you will be most certainly gifted to give to any as they have need. You may even say, to any as they have need and as God calls me to give. Oftentimes, I try to decide where my gifts go. If you guys, uh, if you've ever heard of this, um, this thing in church called designated giving. Have you ever heard of that? Designated giving means I want to give some money to the church. People do this with all types of charities, but we're in a church, so we'll talk about church. I want to give some money to a church. But I want to give that money specifically for new carpet, because I think our church really needs new carpet. So church, I'm giving this to you, but you can't use it for anything except new carpet. So just use it for new carpet, and that's it. If you're not going to use it for new carpet, just give it back, or let it stay there until you get new carpet. That's not the way that God has called the body of Christ to give. It is not that I say, uh, James, I see you're in need of this. I, I have one. I want to give it to you. But I need you to only use it in this way. And, and I need you to be perfectly responsible with it. I need you to, to treat it like I would have treated it because it's, it's mine. Remember, I'm giving it to you. But remember, it's mine. I paid for this. And, and I really need you to handle this the right way. I need you to be responsible with this. Um, and and you, you, can, you can have it. You can have it. This is a gift to you. That's not a gift. That's, uh, that's a, a useful material possession thrown at someone with a lot of strings attached, strings that I am controlling. And they met together, they sold their possessions, and they gave to all as any had need. They gave it freely. And then the next verse you see, they were doing all of these things with glad and generous hearts. So church, may we look at the community of the first church and learn these three very important truths that we are called to believe. We are called to be together. And finally, we are called to be all of one accord, to have all things in common, and to give to all as any has need. Not with strings attached and not with my own blinders and my own compartments of who I think deserves and who should receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to give us this example of the early church who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. They believed in it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. God, they met together to praise you. 
They met together to, to be with each other. And they had all things in common. Thank you for this beautiful picture of how we are called to love loud in our community, in the body of Christ. Father, may you show us tonight the possessions that we are clenching our fists over. Illuminate to us the blind spots that we have in our relationships with brothers and sisters inside of our church and call us to action. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This next part of our worship service is where we respond to God's word. Specifically, it's a time for us to be able to pray and to say, you know what? God really spoke to me in this way and I'm tired of resisting and I'm just going to say yes to him. And I'm going to make Jesus the center of my life. The early church, when Pastor Larry was speaking, it, we, we saw that they, they valued praying together at home and they valued praying together in the temple. We see that they saw the value of selling their extra things to provide for others in need and even to live sacrificially so that others' needs would be met. We see that they saw the value of working together instead of competing against one another. One another. They saw this great value. And it wasn't this new idea or this pie-in-the-sky type dream, but this value was a specific person, the person of Jesus Christ. This is the value that they saw. Jesus was the center of everything, and the, at the center of their lives was this beautiful resurrection promise that Jesus died and rose again. All those who believe on him, though they die, yet they will rise again in the resurrection. They didn't cling tightly to the things of this world because they were clinging tightly to their faith in Jesus. So my question is you for you is this, is Jesus at the center of your life today? Or do you see where you're clinging tightly too much to your relationship with this person or that person? Maybe you're clinging too tightly to the security of your job or to the fact that you don't have a job or whatever it might be. Are you clinging too tightly to the things of the world so much that you're maybe even just not even recognizing that Jesus has anything to do with your life? This is the moment right now to declare, Jesus, you are the center of my life. I'm making it all about you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up a time for us to pray together here in the, the temple, if you will, here in this house set aside for worshiping God. I'll be standing over to the side if you'd like to pray with me, and Lindsay will be standing over here if you'd like to pray with her. Feel free to sing the song and pray where you are, but allow God to change your heart so that you will be the, or he will be the center of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you so much that you are of great value, that you are of great worth. Thank you that you love us even when we are not recognizing you. Thank you that you are worth so much that we can let loose of the grip of the things of this world. And we can use all the things that you've given us to build up others, to meet the needs of others. Help us not to sit back and pray for you to do something. Help us to realize that you've already done something. 
that you have resurrected your son from the dead and you have filled and empowered your church with your Holy Spirit and you cause us and you call us to be agents of biblical justice here in this world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we respond.